0: Hello, and welcome to Carol's Coffee House, a place where Catholic singles in their 20s and 30s can grow in community and deepen their spiritual life. I'm Sarah. I'm Maura. Pull up a chair and let's get chatting. Hello, and welcome back to Carol's Coffee House, guys. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, and we have a special guest, Peter.
2: Hi, my name's Peter. I come from Catholic Twitter. (laughs) Um, this is one of those anonymous groups right like hi this is my problem my name is such and such I have this addiction to this platform that uh, plagues my mind um,
1: I think that Peter is saying I have an addiction to hosting a Catholic game show on Twitter." I do <laughs> <laughs> You guys have heard us talking about Game of Favorites a few times, and this is the host of that show. Yeah, oh. so we're super
0: excited to have you here, Peter. Oh, yeah, um, we've plugged it.
1: We've plugged it a few times.
2: <laughs> yes, oh, wow, I feel special.
0: <laughs> well, believe it or not, Peter is actually someone who's kind of helped to bring a beautiful community of Catholic people together by by his game show. And a lot of us, a lot of my my friends on Catholic Twitter, I mean, that's how I've came in contact with Maura that's how I've made a lot of friends that I wouldn't have otherwise if I hadn't Mm -hmm. been opened up to the amazing community that Peter has provided a platform for so Mm
3: -hmm.
0: yeah
1: and one of the features of Twitch is that with the game of favorites is that you can hydrate the host and the contestants. so Peter what are you drinking today
2: well I prepared a (laughs) cup of coffee but did you drink I it? finished it before before we hit the record button. <laughs> I'm drinking water. I am too.
0: Peter, how do you how do you take your coffee usually?
2: Usually black, although sometimes sugar and cream. Also, also okay. So I'm this is how I'm going to get canceled by coffee drinkers. But I a lot of times will buy the flavored coffee beans. <laughs> okay, like salted caramel coffee beans can be really good, or maybe some vanilla nut or you know it's just just something to add a little a little special something in the mornings okay Um, behind the scenes the visual effects sarah is looking at me with 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 some questioning glances um it's all
0: fine well so i'm thinking about how so I got a fancy milk frother for Christmas and I've been using that and I sprinkled cinnamon on top of my frothed milk and my espresso one time, but I didn't like the gritty texture that it gave to my coffee. It was kind of like little teeny tiny grains of sand from the cinnamon. I liked the flavor overall, but I didn't like the, that gritty. And so, but so I'm just thinking maybe now what I should do is try to either... Put the cinnamon in the grounds before I brew them, or if I should buy flavored coffee beans, maybe that's a good idea too.
2: I've certainly put uh, cinnamon in my coffee grounds. When okay. Before, so it does definitely work. Um, and I go back on back and forth on it. I uh, I'm really bad at being consistent. The better way to put that is I like variety. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> but yes absolutely I, I recommend if you like a little cinnamon in your coffee yeah just put it in the coffee grounds and then you, you don't have to worry about drinking cinnamon particles um. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah yeah it was not it was not very pleasant but uh, I was just, in the in the future mm-hmm. I'll definitely give that a try if I want a little hint of cinnamon lovely <laughs> they tasty you and i are the only coffee drinkers here unfortunately but mm-hmm. yeah maura, maura does out- enjoy a good cup of tea so i do i do <laughs>
1: well i was gonna say we've only had one other coffee drink around here really everyone else has been like in either the water or tea
2: this or is coffee erasure
1: or I- coffee milk nick is into coffee milk which is um
2: I'm going to go text him it's a very
1: geographic thing <laughs> <laughs> text in that hey i heard you like coffee
2: milk in <laughs> uh, the northwest uh you can find it other places but it's more common in the northwest uh you can find chocolate covered espresso beans oh we have those too oh you do oh yes
1: lovely. yeah at midwest <laughs> okay
2: well, good good i feel now like i'm the virginia area i couldn't find them hardly anywhere it was and also Oklahoma Oklahoma get it together love you I think
1: I found, I I found uh, chocolate covered espresso beans at Aldi did you yes oh, I don't oh. buy them because I don't That's you so would want
2: chocolate covered tea leaves
1: <laughs> nobody <laughs> drinks tea leaves what the tea leaves make with the water <laughs>
2: Well, I try. I don't maybe. understand tea drinkers apparently. No.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe it's a good thing that I don't know about chocolate covered espresso beans because I don't think I'd ever sleep ever again.
2: <laughs> I uh, mornings are hard for me. And there was definitely a period in my life where I would keep a little a little container of chocolate covered coffee beans right next to my bed. So that first thing in the morning <laughs> when I wasn't motivated to get up, I'd be like, hmm
3: That
1: is this brilliant. Helps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should not tell Jacob about this. I need to he's find been, like, some of these. <laughs> Jacob, I don't think Jacob is eating breakfast. He's just like eat, drinking energy drinks, and people are very concerned about him. Although, the, the, hopefully, by the time this comes out, he does eat breakfast. <laughs> <know>. I've refrained <laughs> and it's
0: from accepted into graduate school. <laughs> I've refrained from admitting to our group of friends that I also don't really eat breakfast very much either. Um, but, like. He's drinking an energy drink, not coffee or tea. He's drinking an energy drink. Coffee's breakfast. You got your <laughs> caffeine. It's I. I usually use a nice dose of half and half, so that's your dairy right there. It's basically like drinking cereal. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Except without the wheat, but right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> or oats.
2: <laughs> or bran. Shout out to our raisin Bran listen, uh, listeners out there. Love
1: I raisin bran. Yeah. I love you. Really? Yes, yeah, so I actually don't eat cereal anymore. <laughs> but I love. Re- I actually, when I do eat cereal, it's been a minute. But like, I like dry cereal. Okay. And just that like snack I... on it throughout, like, in undergrad, I'd snack on it throughout a school day.
2: Okay, that's mm-hmm. fair. I I can see that. Or
1: like shredded mini wheats, frosted shredded mini wheats, so good.
2: My dad <laughs> loves frosted shredded. However you say that, that one, <laughs> the one you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So, if any cereal companies want to sponsor Carol's coffee Coffee
0: house, coffee
2: house, (laughs) I know where I am. This
0: is your (laughs) first time at the coffee house, so it's okay if you forgot. (laughs) Peter's just thinking, "Oh, Sarah and Moore's podcast."
2: It is actually. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to JP too, (laughs) though. Yay. I'm going to throw my phone over there because I don't want to get distracted.
3: You um, know, <laughs> do
1: you have ADHD?
2: <laughs> you know, funny enough, last night I was in a, a video call with, with some folks and uh, we talked about ADD and ADHD. I, I don't think I have ADHD. I might have ADD. I'm not diagnosed. Um, but I also, I mean, uh, Cecily made a good point about like one of the letters in that, in that phrase is disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that, I think I'm very scatterbrained And I personally like to take advantage of being scatterbrained. And I think that it helps me bring in different perspectives than would otherwise come to a team. So um, I don't know. I think I I lean into it and make the most of it. I mean, I couldn't run Game of Favorites if I wasn't at least a little scatterbrained. (laughs) I don't know how
0: you do it. I've been a contestant a few times on the show. I am constantly amazed at Peter's ability to juggle so many things simultaneously it's it's quite amazing to see
1: <laughs> i think that that Thank is you. what you using that to your benefit i do think thinking about it i think that that is helping you because you're not stressing out about things going wrong you're just like okay that's other ball that's other ball and you're not just like so yeah. it's like you're not like overly controlling about it. you're like okay here's my balls <laughs> here's yeah. the juggling
2: balls <laughs> uh, but i i'm a big believer in recognizing just taking stock of what cards have I been dealt? And how am I going to play those cards? You know, yeah. um, we're not all going to be dealt the same hand. And I will admit that some people get dealt better hands than others. And those are things that need to be addressed. Certainly. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I think it's really important just to look for what are my strengths and and where can I apply them? You know, this is this is what I've been dealt. And this is what I'm going to do with it. And, you know, they talked about comparison is the thief of joy. Not that I'm perfect in this regard at all. But Just take stock of who I am and who I want to be before God, and go for it. You know, maybe pray a little Mm -hmm. bit too. Our our own choices are in our own hands. You know, so there.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, exactly. I love that. I love you know. This is this is the hand you've been dealt. This is what you have been given. But it is your choice, like that you, you don't have control over what's been given to you necessarily, but you have control, you have a choice of what you do with it, I love that.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one of the things that I love the most about this podcast, which for me is still very new, but for you in the future, um, we're, we're speaking from the past, we haven't heard of COVID yet, <laughs> so that's about where-
1: <laughs> Yeah, this is actually coming out around, around the time that Peter's graduating. It's
2: true, I'm excited. <laughs> Uh, but I love this podcast, especially on along the lines of um, you both have recognized a need and said, "Hey, I feel like folks in our demographic are underserved in this way." And one one step is to recognize the need, and the next step is to do something about it. Like you guys recognizing the hands that you've been dealt. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat, honestly. So, but like, I appreciate how how you guys have said. Instead of just saying, hey, this is a problem, why does, why does the world oppress us? So you said, we're going to make the world better. And I just think that's really commendable. I thank you guys for that.
3: Aww, thank Thanks, you.
0: <laughs> On that note, why don't we go ahead and get started? I want to give you guys a really cool espresso shot that I found, which <laughs> comes from St. Clair of Assisi. And she says, We become what we love, and who we love shapes what we become. If we love things, we become a thing. If we love nothing, we become nothing. Imitation is not a literal mimicking of Christ. Rather, it means becoming the image of the beloved, an image disclosed through transformation. This means we are to become vessels of God's compassionate love for others.
2: I think it's challenging. I mean, like, I think it really forces us to take stock of who we are and who we want to be. And have you ever heard of, there's an acronym RIM, R-I-M. I
1: I haven't, I've heard of it. I don't know what it means at this moment, but you might remind me once you
2: tell me. Well, cool. I'm going to sound super smart now. I I don't know where (laughs) where it originally comes from. I think it comes from, a professor that works for the Gusen Institute, but I don't know which one. I encountered it through uh, a focus missionary. Um, it stands for relationship identity mission. Um, and certainly mm. in my own reflections, I find that it's a helpful framework to approach life. The idea is that how, how we approach life should take that mm. sequence in that order. First, first we are relationship- beings in relationship, um, Mm -hmm. especially to God, of course, um, but also to each other. um, Mm -hmm. And out of those relationships comes our identity. For example, we are children of God. So what is our identity? Children of God, which flows out of relationship and out of our identity comes our mission. Like, because we are children of God, we we go out into the world and we do good. And because we are children of God, we get up in the morning and sometimes every once in a while pray morning prayer. (laughs) while we're Um,
0: munching on our chocolate covered espresso beans (laughs) exactly
2: (laughs) but for me it's really helpful to I have a tendency to get over obsessed with to-do lists and I I firmly believe that I mean to-do lists are helpful but our spiritual life cannot be founded on a list of things to check off our spiritual life is founded first and foremost on relationship with God, um, which is a lot harder. Mm. That's what this quote reminds me of a little bit.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think that seen like Christ and others too.
2: Yeah.
0: We become what we love and who we love shapes what we become. So I think the things that we surround ourselves with, you know, kind of like Peter, you were talking about the relationships that we have with people or things or activities that we do the things that we choose to devote our time to the things that we surround ourselves with become a part of us and it be, it does it becomes mm-hmm. our identity and so that is reflected in who we are based on what we surround ourselves with and so if we love things we become a thing if we love nothing we mm-hmm. love nothing i really like the line that says imitation is not a literal mimicking of christ Rather, it means becoming the image of the beloved and the the analogy of becoming vessels of God's compassionate love for others because God is compassionate. God is love. And so if we can really focus in on trying to imitate the kind of love that Jesus had for his disciples, for people that he encountered for the sick, if we can really try to imitate that and mimic that, we become a vessel for his love. Like we literally become... We can take that love that we have and put it out there. That's tangible, like something that can be seen Mm -hmm. based on what we do and who we encounter.
1: Yeah. And that's always something good to keep in mind for being an example of Christ whenever we're interacting with others. Okay. This needs to be applied to both people that we agree with and disagree with. And I think that sometimes we forget about it. Like we're like, okay, we're applying it to like, okay, the people I disagree with, and then we forget to like also have charity and love for those that we do agree with. So I like I was about to say those we disagree. I'm like, wait, sometimes we forget the people that like we like we're on their like we're already on their page, and we just kind of like forget to love them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, people. I I would be so much. Better of a saint if it wasn't for those blasted people. Gonna be <laughs>
1: <realized>. <laughs> I um, I'm kind of like laughing over here because I'm reading over this quote, and if you cut off where it says "who," it just says "we love shapes," <laughs> and that made me
2: laugh. You guys, want to talk about math? We could do a little geometry.
1: <laughs> no, thank
2: you. This is where okay. like.
1: I think she do like an out of context girls' copy house. Like math shapes, geometry. <laughs> uh, I love it.
2: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you love jokes, you're a joke. Wait. Um... <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: also, who we surround ourselves with shapes us.
2: It's true. Yeah, no, it's not
1: weird. just what we love and who we love, but who we surround ourselves with. So, if we're only surrounding ourselves with people that we agree with or disagree with, if we need mm-hmm. to have a nice blend to have yeah. conversations with people and really know what they're what they're thinking.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. So you brought up people that we disagree with, and I—that's what I was mostly hoping to talk about today. Um, I once upon a time I used to work in the pro-life world, and in that vein happened to talk to a lot of people about life and reproductive issues, Um, not all of whom agreed with me. And personally, I have a a strong belief in the strength and the nobility, I suppose, of learning how to approach those conversations. Like there's different ways to approach those conversations and not all of those are constructive. Uh, a lot of my thoughts are a little bit shaped by Equal Rights Institute. If you're looking for resources and for how to talk about life issues, I highly recommend checking out Equal Rights Institute. They do a fantastic job. That's their primary mission. They Another way they phrase it is we help pro-lifers not be weird.
3: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> that is important. <laughs> they can be yeah. so weird.
2: but here's a thought process that I like to walk through. Like the, the, the first idea is that the immediate idea that comes to mind when I'm encountering somebody who's pro-choice, like what would I like? What are my goals here? A lot of times the first things, instinct in that conversation is oh, I would just love to change their mind, right? But the trouble is they're probably thinking the same thing about us you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so suddenly we have two goals that are mutually exclusive and we end up in this weird argument situation Mm -hmm. where neither of us want to back down and that's why a lot of those conversations i believe end up being really frustrating so i look at that and i take a step back and say well maybe what if we explore a different goal for this conversation And because of that, so the next thing that that comes to mind, like, what's something that I would like? Well, I'd really like if they just took a second to understand my position, like they don't have to agree with it, but if they would just understand it, uh, which I think is a step in the right direction. But let me also point out here, if we have the goal of I want them to understand me, that is something that is entirely out of my hands. And whenever we set up goals for ourselves, that are out of our hands, that's a recipe for frustration. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Ultimately, what my goals have become in pro-life conversations is to give them the very thing that I just said I would want, because that's something that is in my control. I can do my darndest to try to understand their perspective and why they believe what they believe. And that doesn't mean I agree with it. You know, There's a difference between understanding someone and agreeing with someone. I can't really take credit for that line of thought. That line of thought really all comes from Equal Rights Institute, (laughs) but it's also super helpful in that Mm. um, I've discovered that that applies to more than just the pro-life world, learning how to approach a conversation with somebody that I disagree with and let go of the need of trying to change their mind and instead try to approach it from the perspective of, hey, I don't expect us to agree by the end of this conversation, but what I can do, what I would like to do is try to understand why you believe what you believe a little bit better. And those can be really constructive conversations. I've, I've found that a lot of times those conversations get to a much better place where we both start to see each other as, hey, even though we're approaching these from different spaces, we both are you know, generally well-intentioned. We both see problems and we want to find the best solutions to them. Like the, there were different conversations where we would end up hugging it out at the end of, <laughs> at the end of our conversation about life and reproductive issues, which isn't something that you normally encounter.
0: That's so, so nice.
2: Yeah, it was really powerful.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. I, I think when you go into it, because you're right, like the temptation is like, <clears throat> I see somebody that I want to to share my viewpoints, but recognizing that, yeah, we both we both have the same mission. And I like how you really focused in on, we both see this thing, that needs to be solved in some way. To find common ground is what I'm trying to say is sometimes can be very beneficial and can set the tone for the rest of the conversation or to be at least a little bit more open.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a, a book called Crucial Conversations that talks about how do you di- talk to people that you disagree with when the stakes are high and when it's emotionally charged. You know, those moments of our life that we all love. And one of the questions that they bring up that stuck with me for years and years and years, ever since I first encountered this book, was just asking ourselves, this person that I disagree with, why would a reasonable and well-intentioned person believe what this person believes? And that's a hard question to answer sometimes, because Mm -hmm. it's so much easier to turn the person we disagree with into a straw man or to vilify them or, you know, anything along those lines. And if that's what we do, that's going to inform how conversation goes forward 100%. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the straw man because I've seen so many people like even accused of like, hey, that's a straw man argument come up with something better. I'm just like, is that really how you're going to like have a conversation with them and get Through?
2: Yeah, I mean, so here's, here's the thing. I also feel a tension. Uh, so this is how I would like to see public discussions go, where more and more often we, we take a step back from trying to convince the other and instead focus in on trying to understand the other. That sounds like a beautiful world. Practically speaking, <sighs> I don't expect that to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a tension that, that I personally feel. What is a constructive conversation and what is an effective conversation are not necessarily the same thing in terms of like, what is our goal in a conversation? Like, I think that if I want to jump into the public discussion and move the needle in a particular direction, that's different than jumping into a conversation and trying to encounter the particular person I'm talking to. Um, And Mm -hmm. different people jump into public discussions along different lines, you know. So, for example, this was just, you know, a week and a half ago for for me. But for you, my dear listener, this is ancient history. This was, uh, remember back when Twitter (laughs) was a thing. Um, (laughs) um, No, I noticed, I don't know if you guys uh, noticed this. There was a controversy about are the unborn zombies and how does conception work? Did did you guys catch any, any wind of that?
0: I did not. I didn't.
2: Well, okay. So, I mean, what I, um, there is a doctor, her name, if I remember correctly, is Dr. Jen Gunter. And she was talking to people about life and reproductive issues. um, And she's clearly on the pro-choice side. She Said at one point in one of these conversations, "Unborn are zombies." So, what does Catholic Twitter? What does conservative Twitter? What does pro-life Twitter? What what do we all say about that? <laughs> do you not know how biology works? <laughs> and and then you know that's how we get discourse. We love it. As, as I dug into it, it became clear that she wasn't saying that before a child is born, it's a zombie. Um, that's not what she's saying what she is trying to do is she's trying to control the vocabulary of the conversation right because within the pro-life world we do have a set of vocabulary like there's other modern issues where if you talk about some catholic stances you can get banned (laughs) from particular platforms right Pro-life conversation, that's not the case. And a large part of that, I personally believe, is because we have a set of vocabulary. I can say I'm pro-life and I'm fighting for something there. I can say uh, words like pre-born and unborn, and that's to help point to how we're, we recognize that the embryo is a human, right? We recognize that the fetus is a human. A human mm-hmm. fetus is a human.
1: And just for anyone that doesn't know, fetus means young one right? Yeah.
2: Right <laughs> it's a stage of development. Like, like it's,
1: it's literally uh, just a stage of development. It's not yeah. saying this person, this is not a human. It's saying this is our young one.
2: Yeah. You so, can have a human it's... fetus. You can have a dolphin fetus. <laughs> you can have a fetus as a stage of development. But mm-hmm. um, so if, if she we're
1: adults, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we're human adults. Um, uh, So, so uh, it's in her conversation, like if she can get to a point where within technical and professional conversations, and then from there into cultural conversations, words like unborn and "preborn" are no longer accepted legitimate terms, then where does that push the needle in terms of the conversation about life and reproductive rights? Very clearly in the pro-choice direction. So as Dr. Gunter approached this conversation, she was not looking to encounter the other and she was not interested in others encountering her. She was part of the arms race in terms of what vocabulary is allowed and what vocabulary is not. So it's there's this weird back and forth, I feel, when it comes to public conversations about important issues, where personally, I think it's nobler to... Try to encounter the other, but I also recognize that on a practical level, there are a lot of people that are primarily engaging in this arms race of defining our terms and getting terms onto the table, and that is also important (laughs) because without it, then we couldn't talk about being pro life without being banned from the internet. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, when it's hard not to see, you know, just that one thing, you know, comparing. The unborn are zombies, and it's hard not to just see that little clip, that little snippet, and be like outrage, instant outrage, you know. Side note of that, clickbait titles, things that are like meant to sort of like draw attention and like get you to click on it. I, I agree with you. There's definitely words that can be used for good, and words can be used to certain words, and the relationship to those words can be used to encourage like joy or humor or to cut people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, it sounds like we're vilifying Dr. Gunter. And on a certain mm. level, I think I am because I don't like her approach personally. <laughs> but also, let me just be clear, like um, with, with on the pro-life side, we also do the same thing when, for example, yes. we use words like abortionists, you know, like it's clear that we're trying to define the vocabulary and the terms mm-hmm. of conversation.
1: I would just like to add that my comments about like how like some language can cut people. That is, I'm thinking about that from both sides of the aisle because I've seen it from both sides. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it's not just, hey, this woman is doing this, and like pro choicers are doing this. It's there are pro-lifers that ought, that need to get better. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I mean, it's I, I I really do wonder sometimes about like within public conversation if we're looking for I mean babies are dying, so that's kind of tragic. Looking into what is what is most effective in moving the needle is sometimes a legitimate conversation. Although let's caveat that by saying the end does not justify the means. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, That's the difficulty I think sometimes is that Mm -hmm. we have folks that are playing by different rules. There are folks that Mm -hmm. are trying to pursue truth and encounter people. And we have folks that are trying to shape the vocabulary and we're all in the same discussion. Mm-hmm. And so, as we encounter people, that's mm-hmm. a factor to consider in what is shaping our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also on that note, if I meet somebody who is particularly insistent on being a part of the arms race of words, I might be a little bit more hesitant to believe anything they say as impartial. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's I don't know a factor, I suppose.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's the right time and place to have those conversations too, or to try and and get into it. Um, like if you really want to have, if you really want to have a like a conversation that's going to be productive, and it's not just going to be people, you know, kind of like what we we talked about earlier, where it's two people trying to change each other's minds, and it's just you're going to keep butting together. There's going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. There might not be anything productive to come from it. It Like context matters, you know, timing, where you have those conversations. I try to stay out of discourse on, in general for the mm-hmm. most part. But when I see it happen, sometimes I, in, like on a public forum, sometimes I'm really surprised at what people will say and how they choose to say it. And wherever that wherever the like hurtful things or things meant to instill anger. And I think sometimes I wonder, you know, when you see it online, sometimes I wonder like if these two people happen to strike up conversation with each other in person, how different would that be? Or if they were could find a common ground first, like what we were talking about earlier, how that conversation might be at least a little bit more productive.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, that I'm I'm so inclined towards Conversations with another person are primarily to connect with that other, and that's what's I, I remember hearing from a debate professor. Uh, that you know, debate my understanding of debate is that it's not so much about convincing the person you're arguing with because who knows if they even believe what they're saying because that's debate, <laughs> but it's all about the audience, right? You're winning, the- <laughs>
1: um,
2: and I think. That, yeah,
1: i think somebody probably said that they were not being totally honest in a debate because like it was a debate
2: well yeah i mean like because when you're being trained for a debate preparing for a debate at least in competitions etc um, a lot of times you don't know which side of the conversation you're going to be representing you have to prepare both sides <laughs> so it's
1: well i was thinking about when they were debating talking about something that somebody did and then like
2: But I think it carries over, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, the rules change. I personally am not interested in getting into the discourse on Twitter. And so I- No, you're not. (laughs) I block, I avoid, I hear about discourse indirectly. But I also like, I have a certain (laughs) qualified respect for folks that engage in discourse in the sense that I recognize that there is kind of a game being played you know and it is important for some people to play that game what are the boundaries of that game i'm not the right person to to address that quite frankly Mm -hmm. but i mean i am very very thankful that i can be pro-life publicly um Mm -hmm. there are that's not where we are with other issues in modern discussion right Mm -hmm. the pro-life movement for all of its many problems quite frankly behind the scenes has created uh, a space for us to, you know, maybe be hated depending on what circles we're talking in, but at least our voice is considered a legitimate voice on those topics, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's huge. And that's because of people that have played the arms race game.
3: But I mean, like it is
2: real important to recognize that when folks are in discourse we're starting to move away from actual encounter, and we're starting to move towards the debate game.
0: Who can and... talk louder? <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. kind of. Or
1: who who can can... Rip... Like, who can rip out like punctuation the yeah.
2: best? That's all about being clever and winning over the bystanders. And
0: mm-hmm. it's frustrating to watch. It doesn't. It just like nothing is resolved. And everyone walks away feeling a little bit frustrated and maybe angry and hurt. I personally DM
1: the people in the discourse that I agree with. And and I'm like, hey, keep up the good fight. I just can't partake. But yeah, I'm behind you.
2: (laughs) See, I wonder sometimes, like if I see discourse and I jump into it out of a strong sense of passion and stuff. I don't think that's the best way to jump into discourse. And because I personally believe discourse is more about being effective than uh, productive. And I think that's part of the tragedies of Twitter discourse is that folks get wrapped up on the emotional level. And that's because they're the audience and that's what the movers and shakers within a discourse are feeding on. (laughs) Right, and
1: that's actually why I can't do it because I, I get emotional. I get invested and I'm like I can't convey an argument and I'm also someone that if I'm feeling like really emotional thoughts i like sad anxious or like overly happy I actually will refrain from even texting people back until I'm like more of in a neutral mode like if a man is like messaging me I'm like okay I need to like message back once I'm not on edge
2: <laughs> yeah no that makes sense um, so,
1: and that also applies to discourse. I'm like, I'm like, Am- I'm never not going to be on it. <laughs> so I'm just going to stay away from discourse unless it's my own that I create. <laughs>
2: but like, I, I think that if someone wants to jump into discourse, it is important to recognize like, how, how do you want to jump into that discourse? Are you being a part of the mm-hmm. arms race? Are you looking to connect with people and also what are your own ethical boundaries? Um, and mm-hmm. keep in mind, Keep in mind that, I don't know, I I see people on both sides, like the folks that drive me the most crazy in discourse are usually the folks that I disagree with because I see the harsh and awful things they'll say. And that is going to be put around my neck in the future with conversations because Mm -hmm. people will remember how awful pro-lifers are. I mean, pro-life is kind of our token discourse here, but pro-lifers have a, a reputation for being hateful. Um, Mm -hmm. So so I do implore anyone that jumps into discourse, be mindful of how your words are going to reflect on the entirety of people that agree with you.
1: Mm -hmm. And um, something else I just want to kind of contribute right now. I guess in addition to being pro-life is how people have approached talking about masks in the pandemic. I have Mm -hmm. seen people that like, hey, I'm not disagreeing with them about wearing masks because I'm like, yeah, I wear a mask. I wear a mask when I'm out in public places and in indoor it's like okay like yeah I find that that's totally reasonable but when they talk about people being idiots and like really trying to tear people down and I want to like see I want to like message them and be like hey do you think you are talking to the other side yeah do, do you think this do you think that this is effective because it's not yeah. And I know this because I know the same people on the other side who are also ripping the other side. And I'm just like, Hey, do you guys really think that you're pulling them in and let's listen to you? Yeah. No, you just called them an idiot.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, um, it's, it's so easy to uh, talk about how polarized the world is and to give a bunch of examples of oh the crazy people that I disagree with are so polarizing well also the crazy people that I agree with are pretty polarizing <laughs> let's be clear
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm just like because I had somebody message me they're like I need to vent about this person and they're like yeah then they told me that they didn't like my tone I'm like well honestly you both could work on your tones she was like what <laughs> I'm like yeah I've seen how you talk you and I'm like I'm not saying that the other person isn't doing doesn't, doesn't have a tone either because they do but they, they have a point and they don't know what applies to them also.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember someone once telling me, this has stuck with me. It's, it's one of those thoughts that has stuck with me, but I usually repress because it hits too close to home. You know, those ones. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Sometimes when, uh, when someone talks about a story of, you know, they're mad at so-and-so because of this encounter, Mm -hmm. what can happen a lot, it's really easy to, to be objective about, well, I said such and such and such and such. And then the other person, instead of talking about what they did, we talk about how they did it and the tone, which is, you know, only half of the story for both parties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's real easy to say, oh, and I just said this because it's objective and it's true. And then they turned around and they yelled at me and blah, blah, blah. Um, And then we like, kind of just hide the actual words they said, because their words might have been true too. Or we hide how
1: we talk to them.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're playing, you know, we're playing both sides there. And it's so easy to do. And I mean, I get sometimes like you just have to talk something out and, and, talk to somebody about your frustrations to get talked down but like when we take a step back and look at our own encounters with somebody that we got frustrated with at least for myself if I ask myself hey am I focusing on what I said and how they spoke am I being objective (laughs) 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 am I being fair no I'm not Well, I
0: think I think so many things can also be lost, like when, especially when you're having a conversation via text. Sometimes when we, I know this has happened to me before, in any general sense, not even just like a like an argument or a discourse, but when I when I type something and I can hear me saying it in my head, yes. the way the person reads it might be different, and it might be interpreted the wrong way. And so that's something that I try to keep in the back of my mind too. Is okay, this is how I said, and this is what I meant to say and the tone I meant to set and just trying to really double check and make sure that that was conveyed in the way that I chose to word what I wanted to say.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think hashing things out over texting uh, media is, whether that be DMs or personal messages or text or anything, I mean, it's going to be harder, (laughs) right? It's really Um, (laughs) hard. That I, I've noticed a trick, you know how people, uh, especially in confrontation, the word but is a strong and powerful word that you have to be careful with. And a lot of times
1: it it's it everything I just said.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, and some people say a lot of people, I, I've heard recommendations to not use it. I actually beg to differ. <laughs> I think that but can be a very powerful word. And just to clarify for uh, I agree with
1: that. I had somebody be very petty with me but I was also trying to not read them being petty because they previously got mad at me for reading a tone in their texts. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to ignore this petty tone. That's very evident and just continue being very nice and like continuing the conversation. And I told him like, Oh yeah, I'm looking at these dating apps. And they told me, it's like, Oh, I had a friend that on their husband, on like Christian mingle. I'm like, well, I've actually not been recommended Christian dating apps. They're like, who who recommended that? What did they say? What? And then I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, wait. Actually, they made recommendations, but nobody mentioned the Christian ones. Like nobody said Christian mingle, Catholic match, any of those. And like, is that the same thing as not recommending them? I'm like, um. So this is all in text. I'm just like, well, I actually <laughs> thought I rephrased that and corrected myself. Like, oh, well, good luck. And I'm like, thank you. I'm gonna need it. <laughs> and they were like. I'm like, yeah, like, cause like maybe I, I will try Catholic Match and see if there's any guys on there that I already know. And they're like, I thought you were against Christian dating apps. And I'm like, yeah. I can change my mind. I'm allowed to do that and not have to defend it.
2: <laughs> it's, but
1: like, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't a bit know. Off this
2: topic, is, but <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is fundamentally why I don't I don't maintain friendships. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no it is what do you
3: mean
1: (laughs) no
2: i mean so uh one thing i noticed about trying to encounter the other and approach it from hey i'm not going to try to change your mind i'm just trying to understand you better like that's a helpful mindset to have rewarding conversations with people i disagree with it gets harder with people that are closer to us like Mm -hmm. for example if (laughs) my parents have certain thoughts about what next steps I should make in my life. And I just approach them from the sense of, well, I don't want to change your mind. I'm mostly just trying to understand your perspective. It's harder, right? Because uh, they have a vested interest in what decisions I make, which, you know, is flattering and caring and also can be frustrating, you know? yeah, It's one of the weird paradoxes of conversation. i personally believe that sometimes it's easier to hash out difficult conversations with strangers than it is with friends and mm-hmm. family which is sometimes tragic but it is because of this sense of i mean if i talk with someone who's pro-choice i already know that they're probably going to still be pro-choice by the end of the conversation and not change anything and that's kind of an assumption that's easy to make When I'm talking to someone who I think is making bad decisions in their life and I want them to change, it's much harder for me to let go of that because there's somebody that I care about. There's somebody in my life and whatever business I'm sticking my nose into, um, like it's, it's harder to let that go. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, it gets a little bit more gray. Sometimes I do need to stick to my guns perhaps, but it's going to add another layer of tension. Yeah. Yeah, it gets weird.
0: Yeah. Cause you, you see someone that you care about, you want good for them. And if you, it is, it is challenging to say, how do I still remain friends with this person, but also approach this in a way where like, they know that I want good. I wish good for them, if that yeah. makes sense. But I, yeah. but I don't want to harm the relationship. Gosh, there's even been, you know, points in my life where I've had to be kind of the middleman, but this person is telling me something, something that let's say drinking too much, just for, just for example, you know, and they're telling me about that and I want to try and help them with that. But I also don't want to push them to a point where they're going to like shut me out completely. And then I have no chance um, because we're like, they've cut the relationship off and yeah, it does get gray. You know, how do you lovingly try to stick your nose in their business? uh, As Peter said, Still keeping the relationship open, but also trying to plant the seeds.
2: We recently read uh, a short story that I highly recommend called "Sunny's Blues" um, in my English class, um, and that was the theme that I very much picked up on. Like a quick summary version of Sunny's Blues, I'm just going to spoil it. It's great. Sunny <laughs> uh, <laughs> is is uh, somebody who loves jazz, and as he's pursuing jazz and he ultimately ends up getting into drugs and goes to prison and, and then he comes out of prison. Um, and through all of that, Sonny's brother, he's wrestling with, there's a, a flashback that you read in the story where Sonny's brother is talking to their mom and their mom is saying, hey, help protect Sonny. I don't want him to die, et cetera, blah, 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 get into too much trouble. Um, And so Sonny's brother really has to wrestle with that uh, because as he's trying to dissuade Sonny from living a lifestyle where he, he seems to be inclined to fall into a life of drugs and get into trouble and not necessarily legal drugs, like at the same time, Sonny pushes back, right? Because of that tension of, I love you and I think I know what's best for you and you don't agree with me. Like, <laughs>
3: yeah. that's,
2: that's a hard thing to navigate. And ultimately, mm-hmm. at least for this story, the resolution that the author comes to or the narrator comes to is Sonny just straight up tells his brother, hey, I I don't know if I'm going to end up in drugs again. I don't know. It could happen. He also explains why his love for Jazz and why he has to play because he's just trying to get through life and life can be hard, etc. And jazz is where he can be himself. So Sonny's brother has to just accept that, and then it was only at that point where the two of them were able to come together. And you know, it, it's just interesting to ponder because their relationship is healed, and there also is this big question mark at the end of the story of. Who knows? Maybe Sonny will end up in a life of drugs again. And the question is, in our own relationships, are we are we able to and is it healthy to accept that question mark? I suppose. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. What's it called again?
2: Sunny's brother. Um, and it's it's like 10 pages long. Um, it's pretty short.
0: Nice. That yeah. sounds really good. Definitely thought provoking. Yeah, Just really like that.
2: I'm much better at questions than answers. Going to be real honest. Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something that I had a thought about a little a little bit ago was I think I read it. I and it might have also been in the movie on John Paul II, but it was where he was. He ran into a friend of his, um, and he was carrying some books. He was doing some reading, you know. And one of the books that he was carrying was a book. I can't remember what it was about, but I think it was like a communist book for like written by a communist. And it was awful, awful things in there. And his friend saw what he was reading. He was like, why do you have that? And John Paul said, if I want to reach this person, these people who believe in this, I have to understand it. I need to know where they're coming from, which is exactly what Peter was talking about at the beginning but he read that book so that he can better understand the people who are writing it. Cause if he wants to reach them, he needs to understand them first. Hmm. I don't know why that, that little story has stuck with me, but. Um,
2: no, I think that's powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Lately <laughs> I've been watching more um, YouTube videos from very liberal perspectives and also very conservative perspectives both of which can be very triggering. <laughs> so like, you know, pacing myself sometimes, but um, it is helpful and, and good to be able to try to understand somebody's perspective in their own words, you know? And absolutely, sometimes I, like there's one person that I was watching today and every time I watch him, he uh, is very good at making straw man arguments against the other side. I guess like it's, it's important to take a step back away from getting triggered and say, well, what are they saying and why do they believe what they believe? You know, do I believe that this person is a rational creature that has good intentions? Sometimes the answer to that is no, depending on who's speaking, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like some people are rather manipulative. And if that's what I believe about somebody, then we'll call a spade a spade at a certain point, at least in Mm -hmm. your own mind. But the ability to, to grapple with the thought processes of somebody that I fundamentally disagree with is the only way to talk with somebody that I fundamentally disagree with. Absolutely,
1: and um, actually, Trent Horn has talked about this before. He like when he does debates before he presents his rebuttal, he asks all clarifying questions first and really makes sure that he understands their argument before he attempts to dismantle it. Because you can't dismantle something that you don't totally understand. Because, like well, these are actual debates.
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's more of a debate style. Like after the the example of Aquinas. Who I don't. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I do like Aquinas. I also to all those fans of Aquinas out there, love you so much. But <laughs> 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 um, uh, no. Uh, but I think that there is a danger in only looking at things through an intellectual lens and forgetting how to encounter the person and oversimplifying like, or right, if I just do A plus B equals C, like, congratulations, you've learned that A plus B equals C, but have you actually talked to anybody and have you actually encountered what they said? Like Aquinas, I think was really good at, I mean, th- that's one of the things that we talk about that he was really good at, right? He's really good at not only finding the the positions that he disagrees with and the arguments for those positions, but also bolstering up those arguments and trying to take them at their strongest possible merits. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. My real grief with uh, overemphasizing Aquinas is that being really smart about the Catholic faith and loving God are not one and the same thing. And we do have like a lot of intellectual heritage within the Catholic church, don't get me wrong. Also, I need to remind myself to pray and actually just like sit with Jesus sometimes (laughs) and not just- study you know like, well,
1: there's a recent conversation where the some of the most devout and greatest believers the ones that really exemplify christ didn't actually weren't actually highly intellectual with catholic teaching and like a lot of backstory and that's not to say that people that are intelligent and that do know that stuff aren't also very faithful and have great prayer lives but it does not mean that they are always one and the same. Like sometimes they are, they're not. Yeah. Not everything is there.
2: Yeah, like do you know who Saint Joseph Cupertino is? He's the patron saint of test <laughs> takers. He's so cool. I yeah. mean, he was not that bright. <laughs> 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 That's um, kind of what he's famous for. Uh, he. Do you know he, who
1: like, else wasn't that bright? Saint John Gianni. Gian... Yeah, John Gian Gianni. He was someone I I prayed with when I was r- originally in undergrad. But I just, I was, I've was never been academically an academic yeah. until I found what I was good at, which now I'm there, but.
2: Yeah, no, I think uh, there's a, a certain beauty. And I mean, how much of church history we're, have, have we been through where most people weren't literate and uh, our yeah. spiritual life was mostly informed by homilies and stained glass windows. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
1: My great grandmother, she wasn't a letter, but like I come from a line of really prayerful and faithful Catholics, which mm-hmm. is how I am, the way I am.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh like Saint Saint uh, the Benedictines, or at labora or you could also say that with a more Latin accent. But I'm. Very American.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Peter, I love you.
0: You're great. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. So moving forward, we can talk about a couple of grounds to cover this week, um, how we can take our conversation about having conversations that can be difficult or tricky to navigate and how we can implement that into our practice for everyday life I think oh before before we go into this I should mention that we're not asking you to go out and just like stir the pot we're not asking you (laughs) to cause the discourse or put fuel on the fires like (laughs) that's very much not what we're asking you to do but one thing that I thought might be helpful is to like when if you're if you're scrolling and you happen to see somebody say something a comment or a post that you don't agree with Ask them, if the context is right, ask them one follow-up question about that with the intent and make sure, you know, like we talked about your tone. Yeah, just make sure that it's charitable, but ask them a follow-up question about it and with the intent of being open to them and trying to understand a little bit more about where they're coming from. And maybe you open up a dialogue or maybe you choose not to, but just one, one follow-up question
2: it's yeah. it's really um a beautiful thing to see when there there's an obvious like tension and heat within a conversation and then you see someone that comes in and they just ask you know probing and respectful questions it's it's amazing how quickly tensions fall and there could be a real connection where maybe they don't disagree, maybe they maybe they don't agree with each other at the end but it's it doesn't always happen
3: <laughs> you're right <laughs> but
2: It is really beautiful to come across that every once in a while. I like that. -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. And then one more thing that I thought might be helpful is do some research on a topic that you're passionate about. So for example, like we used a lot, we talked a lot about pro-life issues here. And I think that if we really want to represent the church well, and if we really want to kind of stand up for something that we really believe in. We need to know about it. Mm -hmm. So research a topic, both sides, even I would say, yes, I think that would be important to see the other side because that will help you understand more about that side, that topic. And so knowing and being prepared to have those conversations would be helpful. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, One last thing that I can think of is that I like pray for those involved in discourse and i also like to pray for um wisdom and for the window of opportunity for when to share that wisdom
2: yeah that that reminds me of i was talking to rachel once upon a time our good friend rachel if dear listeners, if you don't, Rachel, I'm sorry, you're missing out. Uh, (laughs) Go,
0: go be friends with her right away. (laughs) uh,
2: But she challenged me at one point to pray for my enemies. And let me tell you, like bringing that to prayer and saying, I want to pray for my enemies that prompts (laughs) some really strange questions. Like, are there people in my life that I feel like are my enemies? And the answer Mm. is, Yes, but I kind of lie to myself and don't call them enemies, but the way that I treat them and the way that I think about them, <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: I really
2: do have people that I, when it comes to the end of the day, I kind of feel like they're my enemies. Just mm-hmm. acknowledging that for myself in my prayer before God and praying for them, not in the sense of, ah, oh, and help them be better people. Yeah, of course, we all need to be better people, but, you know, praying for them to have mm-hmm. good things happen to them, praying
3: mm-hmm.
2: praying for them as Human beings that have worth and value forces me to start to listen to things they might say within the context of, hey, maybe a reasonable and reasonable and well intentioned human being who is loved by God said these things. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and um, I did laugh when you said that because I know what it's like to be like. It's just a very like not fun feeling. And it's kind of like funny, it's like, wow. Like, cause we are like, we, tr- we are trying to be like these holy and like faithful people. And then it's like, we are also following people that are like, <laughs> but I don't want to pray for my enemy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's just
1: like, but we should. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: And it's just like, yeah. cause we also should be praying for everyone to get to heaven. We should want to see our enemies in heaven
3: hard
2: it is I mean I think I have a tendency to just hmm.
1: I let, I'd rather be indifferent about them than think of them as my enemies
2: yeah right I, I tend to right, yeah no it just feels weird to put the label of enemy on somebody because you know at the end of the day we're called to love our enemies. And if I don't label them as an enemy, then it's easier It's easier to just create a caricature of somebody in my mind. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. They're just a wild person who cares what they say. Um, <laughs> no, they're my enemy and I have to love them. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh,
0: cool. <laughs> yeah well Peter thank you so much for being here today and it's for so talking happy. to us about this. this it can be a tricky thing to navigate but I, I appreciate you coming here and articulating so beautifully at how to navigate sometimes those tricky situations and just bringing a different perspective to it um, yeah. I really appreciate you for coming y'all if you want to follow peter on twitter go find i vote for patches you won't regret it also peter we've referenced this so many times on the show just because i think we all have that common community but please tell us about this game show viewers game of favorites
2: sure i will be happy to game of favorites is a comedy game show tailored specifically for catholics and it is nothing at all like what we talked about today.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: Um, the backstory is: once upon a time, I was binging a lot of "Whose Line Is It Anyway?"s clips, and I thought to myself, "Hey, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't appreciate all of their jokes, but you know, they're 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 a funny show. Is there anything kind of like this, but you know, more Catholic? The answer, from what I could tell, was no. So I created Game of Favorites. I bring a couple people into a video conference room, people that I just make me laugh basically i give them different comedy prompts things like signs that someone likes you or techniques for eating spaghetti they give me answers i put them up on the screen and this whole thing is i capture all of this and broadcast it live on twitch so that as people watch and they see the answers on screen everyone can vote on what they think the best answers are and we just kind of lovingly tease each other it's you know i i firmly believe that Catholics could use a space to let their hair down and have a good time sometimes and take a break from the discourse. <laughs> um, yeah. The heavier parts yeah. of life. It's so much fun. I really love it. It constantly challenges me. And what's more, behind the scenes, I get to work with all these spreadsheets.
0: <laughs> I, love know, spreadsheets. Love spreadsheets. <laughs> I love spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets. They're so organized. (laughs)
2: Thank you. Uh, But please come and join us. Uh, I lately have been uh, taking a bit of a a shift in focus. Uh, I've been very internally focused for a long time in terms of uh, taking care. We have a beautiful community. I love our community. I want to start to pay more attention to, hey, does Game of Favorites provide entertainment value? Now I sound like a businessman. Does it provide entertainment value to someone who's, who's not a part of the community, who is maybe here for the first time, is it still funny if somebody doesn't have relationships with everybody else there? And I want the answer to that to be every week a little bit more. Yes. So that's what we're fighting for. And I would love for anybody to come join us.
0: Yeah. If you, if you And if you search, I think Peter, Peter puts up every episode on YouTube as well. Me too. So if you would like to go to YouTube and just search Game of Favorites, you will find his channel where he puts old episodes. That's what I did when I first heard of Game of Favorites. I went to YouTube and I watched a couple of episodes. And I mean, from my perspective,
3: Um, someone who's
0: new for the first time, I would say that I had a fantastic time watching. (laughs) Uh, It was super fun to see everybody interacting with each other and then with the live chat that they have going on too. But yeah, it's such a good time. It's such good wholesome fun and so yeah i i would love everybody to know about game of favorites they can watch it and just be included in on that because it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a fantastic time so yeah.
2: thank you oh and i don't think i actually gave the where we are uh twitch.tv slash friday nights at 5 p.m pacific or 8 p.m eastern is where you can watch the show live um, and vote on your favorite answers, um, and give the contestants a hard time. Please tease them; they're they're fun to tease. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it's a good time. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, that's that's uh, really heartwarming. I, yes. I'm glad well, you like it.
0: <laughs> like we've said many times, Game of Favorites is a lot of how we've we've all made connections here, and that's because mm-hmm. you provide that platform. And we mm-hmm. love you, and we love Game of Favorites, and oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, thanks for bringing us all together. Um, Peter's a, a fantastic host and just with the biggest heart. So
3: yeah.
1: Um, He's very uncomfortable right now.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: I'm making all sorts of facial expressions, <laughs> which is great for podcasts. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Oh, But yeah. yes, Peter, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you guys. Thank you listeners for tuning in this week. We will see you next week. Have a good yeah. week and God bless.
4: Thanks for stopping by Carol's Coffee House this week. We hope that you found our conversations to be uplifting and inspiring. A special thanks to our friend Peter for sharing his words of wisdom and bringing a great perspective to our topic this week. Some exciting news since recording this episode, Peter has done such a wonderful job cultivating the Game of Favorites platform that he has decided to pursue it as a full-time career. He has big plans to bring even more people together with lots of laughter and just wholesome fun, and we couldn't be more excited for him. Peter is a very good friend, and he can be yours too, so we've linked all the ways that you can follow and support him in the podcast description. You won't regret it. He's great. We really appreciate all of your support and encouragement, and your feedback helps us strive to bring good content to this podcast. So if you have any ideas of topics you'd like to hear more about or are interested in, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at carol underscore podcast or email us at Coffeehouse at gmail.com. Have a great week and God bless.